I will say is that <laughs> I love reading. I love. I'm like, do you know what? We just need to educate. Whoa! <laughs> Hesse says no. <laughs> Who let the dogs out? <laughs> <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Welcome to Brown Sugar, the podcast, where we have candid conversations about everything from careers to culture, race to relationships, identity, and everything in between. Grab your tea. We'll bring the azúcar, baby. That's sugar in Spanish. <laughs> We're going international. <laughs> Thanks, baby. We global. Brown sugar global, baby. <laughs> Let's get this pan. <laughs> Sorry, that was so bad in Spanish. Doesn't sound good. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the second episode of season two called Make Politics Great Again, Do Middle Grounds Exist? So some of y'all might not know this, but 2020 was a hard year for all of us in Brown Sugar, especially after I fell victim (laughs) to COVID-19. It was a madness. It was actually a madness. Um, And me being the dramatic person I am, like I think I still might have, like I think it's just lingering in my body. I don't know. Anyways. But I was Googling, after I, after I was done quarantining everything, I went to Google to just find out about, like, what's the, what's the recovery process for life after COVID? And I Googled, like, so I had COVID, and the top hit was, so I had COVID, what's next? Um, and I actually found it really funny, the what's next part of that question, because it reminded me there's so much transition that's going on in the world at the moment. This was right in the middle of the sort of Capitol Hill protests as well. And um, only a few days ago um, from recording, we um, Biden's just been inaugurated. Um, so it kind of reminded me of just like, so Trump's gone, what's next? So all of these big sort of scary or bad things have happened. Where do we go from here and what do we do? What's the sort of path to recovery and, and where do we find is there a middle ground to find? And if there is, like, how do we start bridging that gap? So I'm going to lead it over to you guys. I've got a question for you. Um, when have you guys felt uncomfortable about someone's political um, beliefs in a social setting? If there's ever been a time. Hmm. <laughs> how much time you got? <laughs> so the first one that sprung to mind was when I was in Barcelona with some friends of mine and we ran into this group of American boys. And I was talking to this one boy because I fancied him. I don't know, we were chatting away, blah, blah. I was getting sprung as per usual. And then one of his friends, unprovoked, I think. I'm not sure what the context was. He shouted over to me. He voted for Trump, by the way. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, nah, I, think, I think we're done here. <laughs> I think we're done here, sir. Enjoy the rest like of your that, time like in Barcelona. Adios. And you've a dirt You ain't trying to have no black girlfriend. Don't be don't, 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 don't hit you where the good lord slit you. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I think that that was that was um because it was a stranger. I think that showed me how quickly I can react to hearing about someone's political beliefs with like not knowing nothing else about them. That was enough for me to be like, mm, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. What about you, Rochelle? Have you had any moments where you felt like really uncomfortable? I, I don't know how to mention this without giving away too much detail, but let's just say I may or may not have had some form of entanglement with someone who was not only clinically dumb, but <laughs> this guy, no, that was rude. But when I say clinically dumb, I just mean he was so ignorant. Like, But we didn't actually realise this until we were all out and he was waved and he was saying some very questionable things about Islam, um, female genital mutilation. um, And he may or may not have attempted to use the N-word on a night out. And when I say entanglement, it was a very loose entanglement and it it unraveled shortly after this. But um, yeah, it was bad. Um, And I may or may not have had to... That limits it to one of four boys, and it wasn't. It was, mate. Why are you saying names on here, fam? <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Just okay. beep it out. But yeah, so that was obviously a bit awkward because I am a woman of color and I am a feminist and all that jazz. Can't really be rocking with a ignorant people, and yeah, that was just a bit wild. But anyway, what about you, girl? Um, I had a situation when I was on my year abroad. 
And I basically had, I had just gone through like a breakup or something. I was really sad. And I had just moved into a new apartment in a new city, didn't know anyone. Um, and one of the girls who lived with me, like, I think she um, saw that I was upset and basically took me, she was like, oh, like, you want to go for a coffee or something like that. And um, we went for a coffee and we were walking past, we were like walking to go to a cafe and we um, were walking past a homeless person and his dog. And um, she was like, oh my gosh, like, I hate when I see stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, me too, thinking she thought, was talking about, you know, the systemic injustice uh, that surrounds, like, homelessness or something like that. I was like, me too, man. I fucking hate seeing that too. And then she was like, like, right? Just get a job. And the poor dog. And that's what she said. She said, and that poor dog. And I was like, oh, that's what you meant. But I had already agreed with her, so it was kind of too late to backpedal. And she was also doing something really nice for me. And it was really awkward because I was just like, um, and I just didn't say anything, but I felt highly, highly uncomfortable. So in our next section, we're going to explore the notions of echo chambers and how they lead to political polarization in a little bit more detail. And just to quickly note, echo chambers refers to an environment in which a person can build themselves that, where they only encounter opinions that coincide with their own. So kind of like a bubble. And political polarization refers to the dividing of political attitudes into ideological extremes. So while we were prepping for this episode, I read a Pew Pew Research article, and one of the things it notes is that nearly two-thirds of consistent conservatives and half of consistent liberals say that all of their friends share their same exact political views. So this is quite staggering when you think about it, and I think us three are definitely an example of that. So for a little little game, is there... I feel like we can easily guess this about each other, but, like, if you were to say from me, for example, Rochelle, would you be able to say, like, what are, like, a few things that I, like, 100% believe in or... Can you name any of my political opinions? Hannah's number one thing that she'll say is, we don't need to come from a place where we think there's like finite resources <laughs> because we come from a place of abundance, abundance not scarcity. And there is no reason to think that we cannot be equal. So Hannah's all about, you know, redistribution and all that jazz. Woo! Hannah's all oh about... Oh my God, yeah, I, need to get, I need to get, we come from a place of abundance tattooed on my back or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's my main thing from Hannah. She was Aki, can you can you say any about Rochelle? Oh, uh, Rochelle it's all about feminism for Rochelle. Anything, anything that fights for women, Rochelle's fine for it too. I'm gonna be flying my flag. Fly my flag for the women. <laughs> for her gender. But the thing is about Rochelle, she loves intersectionality, so not oh. only she's a woman, she's a black woman. Mm, Aki, I was just about so to say you forgot a key woman, concept. She ain't about it. If it ain't intersectional, I don't want it, baby. I don't want it if it ain't intersectional, baby. Okay, what are some of Aki's views? So I think, I don't know if these count as views, but things that you're very passionate about. One, I would talk about the healthcare, sort of like equality when it comes to healthcare. And I reckon we're going to have a couple episodes on it this season, and I can't wait. And two, I also think definitely around immigration um, politics and just because it's affected your life so personally as well, um, which I'm excited to talk about later in this very episode to kind of um, see what you think about the other side of the debate. But if there's two things that I were going to say are your two like main things when it comes to your political beliefs, I'd say those are like really key things for you. Okay, so question to you guys. Um... Do you guys have friends? With, are you friends with people who sort of vote differently to you, for example? I even vote differently to myself, man. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the state I'm not of our government? Michelle, recently? I used to be four years ago. Things <laughs> 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 have changed. Um, yes and no. I would say majority of my closest friends would be more left leaning, but obviously, I'm not going to lie to you. We'll probably go into this later on. But I think people forget, for example, Gordon Brown was Labour. <laughs> so was Tony Blair. Do you know what I mean? So like, I don't think it's 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 a lot easier in 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 this um, country. I would say like I wouldn't ac- I wouldn't 
not ha- if someone was like I voted conservative well now I would probably be like mm, come on but a couple of years ago I I probably would have just been like okay cool we can obviously still be boys like it is what it is but most of my friends I would say are more left leaning or center left I would say maybe I'm I'm center left um but yeah most of my friends some are extreme okay. but I'm talking about, about you, you? Hannah <laughs> Kid, Hannah's not. She's not even living. I really right. am. What about you, Aki? <laughs> Corbin's, Corbin's number one fangirl. Um, I this question made me realise that I don't talk about politics with certain groups of my friends. So there, are, you know, friendship groups with you two. We talk about it all the time. But there are other groups of friends. I really don't know too much what their political views are explicitly. I can probably say implicitly we're probably aligned, um, but it made me realize that that politics is kind of reserved for a select group of people in my life, which is, which is quite interesting because I'd say that I'm like friendly with a lot of people, but the friendship doesn't quite go there with some of them. Uh, I mean, not that it has to. Are you, are you scared of what you would find if it didn't go there? Not, not really because I am who I am. I think what I think, and that shouldn't, it shouldn't rumble me that someone has their own views about something. But it, it is inevitable that if I find out something really problematic, I will start questioning whether that person should be representing me. But I do of the people that I do know more about their political beliefs, they are, like Michelle said, like slightly more left leaning. Um, interestingly, I don't really have like I have some suspicions about some probably more right leaning friends of mine, but they're, they're awfully quiet. They're awfully quiet and I think you have to be in in today's climate. That's really interesting. And I think, so for me, when I find out someone votes one way, it's not like, I often feel like it's not just a decision about their politics, but it's a decision, it's a lack of like care for how their politics can infect, affect other people's lives, such as pe- like people of color or women or the less fortunate to them. And so it, I find it really hard to like remove myself from from a place of like letting us coexist. So if anything, I feel like this episode is a little bit of therapy for me because I genuinely think, I I think I wouldn't date someone who was right wing. I don't think I would be close friends with someone who was right wing. I think I would naturally drift away from them. Um, One of my friends, Junie, actually, she sent me a message yesterday um, about this. It was like this one of this article and basically was saying unity without justice is just toxic positivity. Um, And she was basically talking about when you do kind of push the narrative of unity without actually grappling with the ideas of justice, whose expense is that just, like at whose expense is that at, right? Um, And I think especially in America's case, you can see clearly how that could possibly play out. Like there's so much division right now and it often gets made to feel like, okay, if we're gonna skip to the unity part without solving lots of the race issues that are happening in America, without solving lots of the health inequality issues that are happening in America, but we're jumping to, okay, Democrats and Republicans need to be friends again, at whose expense is that? Um, And so that leads me to my next question, which is, so like, where is the line between being, being an apologist, let's say, to actually being someone who is trying to find that middle ground and like build bridges where there needs to be and like is there how do you know which issues you should do that with and which ones that you shouldn't perhaps um in my opinion I think it kind of boils down to human rights like I think Mm -hmm. access to healthcare. I think like freedom from discrimination I think like access to um education resources all that stuff and the truth is that a lot of people still don't have these basic rights so how are we jumping and I see this in race it's literally like akin to all lives matter of course Mm -hmm. all lives matter but you can't just kind of jump to this universal utopia and this is what I was talking about with the transracism piece in that other episode it's like we cannot jump to um a position where all races, genders, the ideal sexualities, position. yeah, are all yeah. linear because they're not, they're hierarchical. So I think that, you know, any issues, the main issues, the main isms in this world where, you know, there's a lot of hierarchy, we have to kind of address those and redress the equality. And it, the focus should be on equity, which takes into account these imbalances rather than painting equality like, oh, racist versus everyone. That's not the case. Like, mm-hmm. it's not the case. 
because that's such a good that's such a and especially the all lives matter bit I yeah think that's a really good way of putting it is and that's what everyone always says is that no one's saying that that's not true but that can't be true unless something else happens first yeah, yeah. so okay. many like not even just with racism like women's with, rights yeah. don't matter like no one can actually say that as a, a universal maxim that like women's lives matter because they don't in so many places around the world so let's kind of address these things before we're trying to you know just unify everyone and i love that quote unity without justice is toxic positivity i think it's so apt um but yeah um aki what do you think yeah and i reckon aside from the basic human rights that you just described which i agree definitely need to be the fundamentals of anything uh, I'd say that where the line between being an apologist is where there are slightly there's there are bigger debates to be had maybe on other things. I'd say that it needs to be more solution based rather than, you know, oh yeah, pandering to the other person's views or shifting around unnecessarily because I think it can be very easy to particularly today where the people's political views are very emotionally charged, I reckon there are lots of people who are very quick to tell you, no, you're wrong or problematic for thinking this because this. I think where there needs to be more constructive conversation is rather than trying to call people out for the way that they think, try and take a more pragmatic approach and see whether there can be any sort of middle ground. Um, yeah, middle ground. So kind of marrying that and moving into the sort of next section, um, when I was doing research for this episode, I was looking at um, a, re- a Pew Research Center sort of piece that they did on um, polarization. One thing I was talking about is how um, it was about partisan animosity. Around half of Republicans believe that the Democratic views held, like, were basically a national security risk, <laughs> um, which I found, I found really funny, but I also... I I can very much see that. And I think even in the left, I think that's something that we sort of respond to the other side with. um, And ours are usually on, like we were just talking about when it comes to human rights and things like that. Um, That's usually what our side is charged by, whereas the other side is often charged by a complete failure of the economy that will send like all of capitalism running in a spiral or something. Um, But then there is this big sense of sort of political uniformity um, at all costs. And I think I say that just to say that I don't think that it's something that only sort of conservative people view of the of more liberal views, but I think liberal people also end up doing that to the opposite side. Oftentimes, even though the left um, is supposed to be kind of a place where there is or more acceptance of different groups or different experiences and different um, individualities, um, it can often end up being like very, very exclusionary. So if you don't subscribe to all of these things, then you can't possibly be left left wing. So there's no sort of space for religion or there's no space for a different type of economic viewpoint. Um, I think I was saying to Aki that when people tell me that they're socially liberal and economically conservative, I'm literally look at them like they've just slapped my mom in the face. Because <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, oh, I just don't feel, I can't see how that can exist. I was just going to say, yeah, I think that's interesting because like that's like your champagne socialist right but obviously there's a reason why there's hella of them do you know what i mean and i think it reminds me of one time that me and hannah had this fight in um like all the time we're always <laughs> always grappling with these issues because i was basically saying that the left because they're so like staunch in their beliefs of like uh, it's actually very um exclusionary and, and it ends up being intolerant and i just remember actually at work um at work someone was like to me that something that because I went to private school I would like basically they were just like saying that like who if you went to private school like you're just like a toxic person right and I I was a bit like taken aback I went to private school okay like it is what it is my parents decided to and it's not like I'm from it's not like I'm just like from an incredibly incredibly wealthy family like i recognize my privilege and stuff so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do a sub story let's be real but what i will sounds say sounds like a sub story to me <laughs> inserts violin <laughs> <laughs> but 
I just found it ludicrous. And I said to him, I was like, you realize you're going on about like tolerance, but you shut me down for the mere fact that I went to private school. You don't know what my parents like had to give up for that. You don't know anything about my school. You don't like, you don't know the education I've had, right? And he was like, oh, um, some people have told me that I can be a bit intolerant. I'm like, the irony of you, you know, fighting for tolerance and this and that when you're literally being intolerant to me just because I said I go to a private school. Like to me, that's ludicrous. And I think that's something that, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this, that cancel culture has literally been perpetuated by the left. Okay, I'm gonna say it. Because the truth is that people are getting canceled. I'm gonna say it. I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> say it. I'm gonna say it. <laughs> Because it's Be like I'm gonna, say it. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. And um and it's like <laughs> you guys are just like we talked about it before you're just canceling people people cannot be cancelled like you cannot be fighting for tolerance using the like the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house like they absolutely won't like we need to be grappling with these issues why have people been allowed to perpetuate these toxic behaviors and intolerant behaviors cannot be perpetuating these same oppressive tactics to try and in the name of justice in the name of tolerance like who are you fighting for at the end of the day like what is your main goal that's what i want to know one thing that we highlighted um the proportion of mexican men that voted for trump in the most recent election was like record-breaking it kind of falls outside of what you would assume them to vote for we kind of assume lots of people like if you're an immigrant if you're a person of color blah 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 to have a very specific way that they vote um and we were saying that perhaps for them their their sort of being an immigrant or their race isn't their biggest part of their identity that they vote off of um and for other people it can be economics some people's like driving part of their identity is their religion um and their sort of traditional views that they hold so i wanted to ask you we can start off with aki um like who are you like who are you voting for? Why do you vote and which part of your identity would you say is the driving factor for the political beliefs that you hold? I think that this is where it can be a bit conflicting, but going back to Rochelle's intersectional approach to life, I would say that there's no one part of my identity that drives me to vote. I'd say it's the collective. So I'm a black woman that's also an immigrant. I mean, we're all kind of I, I was born (laughs) (laughs) my daddy was born here (laughs) y'all are immigrants (laughs) my daddy was born here and his grandmama was born here i'm I'm anglo-saxon i'm from an anglo-saxon i'm from (laughs) enfield i'm from (laughs) Herefordshire. my great grand my great 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 grandfather was the earl of (laughs) northumbria (laughs) you guys are watching much bridgerton you need to get the heck out um i would say that Um, so from an identity perspective, I would say being a black woman would be the the main thing that drives me and my political opinions. And also from an academic perspective, because I come from a a public health background, I very much look at what the, what are the social, the impacts for social and health equality, um, as a result of that government or that, um, that person coming to power so i'd say those are the main things and what about you rochelle so i've been holding this in for a while um (laughs) (laughs) i am a trump supporter (laughs) (laughs) no i'm totally kidding but one thing i want to say and actually hannah in the homework for this episode that you assigned to us um, was to listen to this podcast which will come up later and one thing he said that really resonated with me was that like it's not politics isn't necessarily binary and this kind of goes back to my intersectional kind of approach I don't have the perfect answer but what I will say is that modern politics and that's what we're we're talking about now is so polarized but it's not either or I'll 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 confess to you I've actually voted (laughs) I've actually voted (laughs) I'm I'm already I'm already just you know what so the first time I could vote I would think how what's the voting age here 18 or something 18. First time I ever vote. We're at uni. First time I ever. We're in Durham, right? Hella Tories. Hella Tories. The first time I would say I only really became engaged with politics when I really started to enjoy my degree, which was second year. First year, called my dad. I said, Who are you voting for? Let me just tell you a bit about my dad, okay? My dad's priorities are 
private education for his three kids. Obviously, it's expensive. Taxes, blah, blah, blah. Now, he, his views would probably have changed a bit. But back then, my dad voted conservative. Called him and said, who should I vote for? He said, I'm voting for conservative because, you know, Labour's trying to write, um, make me pay more tax. I was like, oh, cool, sounds good. I voted conservative. By the next election, I was like, what the heck? Is wrong with me. And I think this is another thing, like, people will probably try and come for me because of this. But the truth is, I was ill-informed. And the next election, I was also ill-informed about the other side. Because there are plenty of people who vote Labour just because they think it's the right thing to do. Without really grappling with, like, the concepts, right? So anyway, and then in, in then I think in one election, I voted um, Lib Dem. Because I was like, I did this quiz, funnily enough. And it was like, you are centre-left, you think some... That's why, Hannah, what you said about socially uh, liberal, but economically, um, whatever you said, it, 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 I found it funny. Because this quiz that I did told me that I'm basically... I don't mind private school, obviously I went. But, like, I also want equality for all. Anyway, that's another story for another day. The point, sorry, I'm trying to make here is that I voted Tory in my first election. I voted Lib Dem and then I voted Labour. Um... And the point is that, like, I think, and, like, most people who know me would say that I'm, like, pretty progressive. Like, I'm not, I don't have any views that are crazy. But the point is that, like, I'm really for, like, trying to, like, trying to, I don't want to, just want to go into something blind and just vote because that's what everyone says I should vote for. Because politics changes as well. I said this earlier, like, Tony Blair was Labour. Like, if I could vote in those elections, I would not have voted for Tony Blair. Like, I just think it's very, very important to know on individual level who you want. And like, who, like that's what democracy is about, right? Like, who do you want to be your representative each time? You can't just, like, blindly... Yeah. If you, no, if you so disagree, I, I, like... I, so one please. thing I would say, I agree with you to some degree. So, so for me, when I, if I were to ask myself what part my part of my identity would be my political identity, which is why it's so interesting because I, I often feel as thin, I think the driving part of my identity is the, is literally the same as like uh, what a liberal or a labor sort of driving part of the actual political party is. So like mine, like you said about the idea of like, um, not, not driving this idea of like toxic scarcity or like that there's only enough for some people to win and, that means other people have to lose because of that. And coming from a, and I think it definitely part of my political identity was shaped from the fact that I moved from Texas to London when I was at the age where I was starting to, um, where I was starting to engage with politics. And that was um, right off the back of Obama's first time in, in um, first election and between his first two sort of terms in office. And being in Texas, I remember being in Texas the day Obama got elected in 20, 2008. And um, my teachers were like saying like, oh, this is the beginning of the end. Like, we're all gonna, like, I said like, and y'all don't know about, con- <laughs> you, you said you see conservatives? I'm gonna show you I'll show y'all conservatives. <laughs> I raise you. <laughs> I raise you. Because I raise y'all to come to Texas for, for a hot, for a hot second. Because, I like in hindsight, I used to have teachers who were so open about like it was so such commonplace to be have such like intense conservative views. And I didn't know any better. So I wasn't going to tell my teacher like, oh, what do you mean that it's the beginning of the end? Because we have a black president. <laughs> like, as in, like, I'm not, I'm just gonna, I was literally there, like, miss. <laughs> I was just like, wow, it sounds like it. Like, you know, what I mean, like, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know. I think. Then coming to London a few years later when I was like 14, 15 and realizing these things for the, like realizing that there's a world that exists out of this norm that I had always been pushed, which was a very conservative normal. And so for me, my identity is like is being liberal, like is being left wing. So my so my main tenants is all around like all around redistribution and like social welfare. Like those are the things I would say mean the most to me. And the reason why I say I roll my eyes at people who say that they're socially left and economically more conservatives is because to me that can't exist 
because they intertwine with each other, right? So remember how we said the personal is the political. That means everything that's the personal is everything that's the political in, in the way that I kind of approach it. So like for me, if you believe in my rights as a woman, like then that impacts how you how you think we should approach like the the um pay gap and like the you know what I mean if you think that um people who are less fortunate you like you think that kids should still have equal opportunities then that means you need to pay your taxes because we can't do that without the other if you believe in in equal health care for for everyone that also has to do with how many how much taxes you pay um so I think that's something I struggle with is that it makes it really hard for me to come out of oh, maybe you don't have to think this about everything. So I would say, hand on heart, I'm one of those people who are like, left is best, <laughs> right is fuck. So Hannah, you would vote for the left. Every time. Irre- every time. Irregardless, like, sorry, not irregardless. It's a word that doesn't exist, but Hannah has used it before. Anyway. I use all that word time. all the time. Like, because Hannah, like, I get what you're saying, but would you just vote always left wing every time? Even, even like... Even with even if there were loads of allegations against the the leader, there was like, would you just like blindlessly vote for them? One thing I think, obviously, if there like, so the short answer is yes, I would, and the reason why I would say yes is because for me, I think one thing we need to remember is that with UK politics. We're not in America, right? Like, Boris Johnson's not going to be citing no executive orders to put through. It's just 5,000 pounds. Like, we're not. And, like... People like to align them, but it's slightly... It's it's very different. Mm. It's different. We have a parliamentary government, and we are voting for parties, not people. So even if Jeremy Corbyn is, as an individual, has certain allegations brought against him... As the Labour Party, it's not, he's not the only, like, we can have, how many, we've had two or three um, prime ministers recently that weren't voted in to be prime minister at the time that they started. Like, and the only, when they, when with Theresa May, when they had, when they put up, um, did the election again, the only people who could vote were conservatives. Half the people I know aren't even registered to be Labour. So how can we even vote if there was a case where we needed to oust one leader and get in another, you know? But you're voting for a party, and I think one thing the right wing does amazingly all over the world is that they don't change their bloody mind. Republicans vote Republican, and conservatives vote conservatives. But Labour, every single time there's an election, we're back to the drawing board, trying to convince ourselves whether we should do this or not. We don't have time to waste. And when we remember that all of this stuff has to do with how our kids in our country are being fed, how our education system is is being looked after, how the national healthcare system is looking after, we don't have time. We don't have time to go back and like start from the beginning every election. So for me, yes, I would vote Labour every single election unless unless there was, and we're gonna get into it into the next part. There need like into the the. The transformation of changing one's mind. I think the next section that we're going to go into is the where do we go from here section. And basically the homework that I gave all of us for this section was to listen to um, this podcast that was based off of an opinion piece that this um, writer called David Leonhard wrote in the New York Times. And it was called A Summer Project to Nourish Your Political Soul. And essentially what it is, is taking an idea or a belief that you believe in and grappling with what the other side thinks about it and how they think about it. So I'm going to start with you, Aki. Can you explain what topic you chose and give us like your sort of learnings from um, from researching the other side of the argument? OK, so the topic that I chose was the right to bear arms, um, gun ownership in the states which i personally <laughs> controversial i personally just never fundamentally understood obviously when whenever shootings would occur um there would be this here we are again moment where the president at the time comes up and they're like however many children have died in this school shooting and in my head ever since i was younger it just didn't logically make sense to me like why do why do civilians need guns i don't understand it um so I went away and I had a little look about, obviously, historically, the that amendment put, was put into the Constitution. But to me, in modern living, I just didn't understand why it needed to be a law. 
And why, why is it so difficult to establish gun control? Why don't you just ban guns? What's so hard? Um, and there are a few things in terms of whether gun control is right or wrong is, is another question, but there are a few reasons other than people's feeling that it's their, their, their right, it's in the constitution. There are other points around gun, gun control and why what makes gun abolition so difficult that kind of made me a little bit more empathetic to why it's taking so long, if you like. So one of them is that gun guns are often illegally sourced. By banning guns, you're targeting everyone, but actually the small population of people aren't that aren't the law-abiding citizens are the ones you need to be targeting so in terms of where you need to be directing your attention it doesn't make it some people believe it doesn't make sense to be taking that right away from everyone you should be focusing on the people that you need to be focusing on and then the next part which i think is interesting the classic argument for this side is that the number of deaths from guns is tiny tiny compared to all of the other things that kill people which seems like a very simplistic argument but when you actually think about it in a country like the usa that has massive health inequalities to me it doesn't really warrant focusing on the smaller part the smaller cause of death when there are other there are other ways to tackle health inequalities and tackle the the reasons why people are dying at such a rapid rate and then finally, something that's really interesting, but very topical, is the race, the racial imbalances in gun control. So gun control laws that currently exist, they're aimed towards inner city poor black communities. And so this feeds into the, the racial imbalances in the country. And if we do want to look at gun control in isolation, you can't do that without looking at the 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 racism that exists systemically in the country. So if you're saying, yeah, ban guns, you still have racial profiling that's going to go into that. You still have people looking for a certain demographic of society and there's going to be a certain demographic of society that are penalised and targeted. Um, and so I thought that was a really important point to raise. Interesting. So can I ask you, like, how did you find the exercise in itself? Like, was it... Un comfortable or unusual trying to like reading those resources or was there any time that you were trying to like explain away like yeah but or yeah but like how did you I find found it? it I won't lie I skipped lots of it so in terms of what I wanted to the point of this was to think about the key things that really impacted me but I did find that I ignored some of it like some of the arguments were are. Uh, you know, not that many suicides are from guns. Most suicides are from this. I was like, that's not an argument. Next. Oh, you know, guns are really important to teaching people how to defend themselves. Next. It's really important to allow citizens to, you know, it was, there was something about like um, how if there was if there was ever a need for military defense, if the, if the military's if the military can't come and back it up, you know, Susan down the road has got her strap and she can come. Like, what is what is the point? So yeah, there was some there was some arguments I thought were nonsensical, but it was it it was interesting. Let's go over to you, Rochelle. Okay, so the topic I decided to grapple with is anti-intellectualism. And to just give you a quick definition, anti-intellectualism is host the hostility and mistrust of intellect, the deprecation of education, the dismissal of art, literature, and science as impractical and politically motivated. And I found this quite interesting because I was just kind of like, mm, people just go to school, but it's not just about school, it's about critical thinking, right? So education, education, education. Who is it who says that? Education, 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 we said would be the top three priorities of the Labour government. I just, I just thought this was so interesting because I fundamentally like would say I'm not like I, I don't agree with anti-intellectualism but I read this article on Politico and it was basically saying that anti-intellectualism is actually helpful for democracy and I'll tell you why so in the recent like 
you know, rise of pop, it's not recent rise of populism, populism has been around, but particularly Trump, right? It's very easy for us to paint Trump supporters as just dumb and uneducated. And, you know, it's not their fault they're ignorant, they just haven't been educated, but it's not the case. What Trump did, I would say, is he really engaged with the everyday man in a way that, like, a lot of presidents before him didn't. And the the truth is that like, it's easy to kind of dismiss anyone else who doesn't have expertise as like poor education. And like, you know, it's the people who are intellectual. So real thinkers who these people should be in power. But actually what um anti-intellectualism can actually highlight is the fact that like, you know, it's not just like the the true the true um the true point is it's not it's not supposed to be creating like elite people it's like it's it's what i think intellectualism should be about is like critical thinking and it doesn't matter you know where that's coming from it doesn't necessarily mean to mean mean that you need to have studied and like i'm just going to read you this um quote quote because and dion jr in descent magazine said that ultimately Ultimately, in this moment of lies and anti-intellectualism, what must be defended is the life of the mind, not any particular class that might be labelled intellectual. What must be preserved is the right to dissent, not any subset of dissenters who happen to have advanced degrees. What must be fostered is the exchange of ideas, whether inside the academy or outside its walls. And so my so like what I found quite interesting about this and the truth is that we do need to kind of bridge that gap between the intellectual elite and the everyday man because there's a reason why you know people voted for Trump because they felt like he they felt like he represented them he was just a I mean yeah don't get me wrong Trump like he went to Wharton he he's a rich he's a rich dude like he's not he, he's not an he, everyday he Joe that, but the yeah, point is that like that his yeah. yeah that was his thing like he literally was like I'm I'm not you know, I'm not um, an intellectual snob. I'm literally just like a business guy who who wants who wants to make money. And it's true. The intellectual doesn't mean that you need to have, you know, 50 degrees because expertise is important. But I think the main point is that expertise should be shared. If you're going to go to get a PhD and stuff, that's obviously amazing. Not everyone can do that. But how are you benefiting the wider community? How are you debunking kind of like false information and fake news? The reason why fake news and false information has been able to like be spread so much and like perpetuated is because people fundamentally have a distrust of expertise because they think that it's all about a political agenda and the reaction of the intellectuals yeah the the reaction of intellectuals shouldn't be to just kind of dismiss these people as dumb but we need to engage and like iron sharpens iron right so we need to basically be engaging with these people and and i think anti-intellection anti-intellectualism does shed light on the fact that we need to bridge the gap between intellectuals and the everyday man and i think that's what is um should be highlighted in a, in a true democracy i i like that a lot because i think so the sort of key difference there with aki because you were like I, I do you believe in do you believe in gun in the right to bear arms now aki mm. Uh, no, I won't, I won't lie. I understand the other side more, no. but I don't. I don't yeah, get its okay. relevance in twenty twenty one. Yeah, exactly. So I think the it's interesting to see like two different sides of the argument where you kind of started off with one staunch belief, and I also know what you're like, Michelle. So I find it so interesting that you kind of by grappling with the other side, kind of came to this space where you almost have changed a little bit of your mind at least very interesting um but yeah let's that's kind of the wrap up of that section and like just for our listeners at home if you guys wanted to partake in a similar um in the similar challenge basically all you have to do is um pick an issue that you find complicated and grapple with it like choose a few resources from the other side of the debate that you might perhaps wouldn't normally read and do a little bit of researching to it and see if you can either change your mind on it or just like see where the other side is coming from so that you can and try not to explain away the in, inconvenient mm. evidence and let us um, know slide into our dms I, like if you disagree into our dms like let's one like if you disagreed with us also if you found out something about yourself or something that you believe in that you change your mind on or that you didn't um let us know but yeah let's move on to we're 
kind of completing, but I wanted to have like a summary. I feel like we went through so much in this episode, but like if everyone wants to do like a round the room um, and just summarize like what were your, this can be our takeaway part as well. Like what were your top takeaways? Any lasting, last thoughts you want to get off your chest? I have to get something off my chest. Girl, get it off your chest. So Hannah, I just wanted to say that it was very, um, when I asked you that question about what can you do, I I found it very admirable, like your honesty, that you were just like, your identity to you is like your political identity. And I thought it was really interesting that you were saying that like, you know, you could do more and that you're trying to do more and that you wouldn't be opposed to like, you know, higher taxes, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I just wanted to ask you that like, because obviously when I said I once voted Tories, you rolled your eyes. But I just wanted (laughs) to ask you, can you appreciate that not everyone's, identity is political of course the personal oh yeah of course but not everyone because for me right each election i try and treat it differently i wouldn't just blindly pledge allegiance to the flag um (laughs) of like for any party so i just wanted to ask you like because i i thought that it was very interesting that we didn't necessarily have the same opinion so but yeah yeah, that's what i was explaining though so i was saying explaining that because i came from texas and I had that stark difference mm. in like the way the two societies operated. That's what made for me my identity the mo- like mo- more to do with my political identity than almost anything else. And obviously, it is also intersectional because my political identity has to do with the fact that I'm black, has to do with the fact that mm. I'm a woman, has to do with lots of the privileges that I also hold as well. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate that for everyone. Which is, but that was my main point. Is that I always find it interesting because mm. I just don't come from that point of view where I can separate the two. I think that's great, to be honest. Like, I think it's really amazing that your political identity for you is so strong. And I think because of that, you will go on and do amazing things for your party. And I think it's amazing that you signed up as well. And I think it's it's interesting because for some people, it might be their church and like how they're serving. Mm-hmm. For some people, for me, I'd say it's education. Like, I don't yeah. know... I don't know if I want to be a professor or something or a teacher, but for me, like education is where I would say I feel that's my, that that I would say my identity is like inextricably linked with kind of like that that agenda. So I just think it's quite interesting. On from thinking we all have the same kind of views to realizing that our motivations are kind of different. And so that's actually going to be my takeaway is that politics and like even life isn't binary, right? So it's not left or right. It's not black or white. It's not like we all three would say we're politically aligned in the same kind of party, but we have different views. So like it goes back to this point of like intersectionality and we cannot view the world through as like black and white. You can disagree with someone and have similarities with them on a different thing. So my top takeaway is like let's listen you know and have empathy for the other side like take an idea grapple with it I'm not saying you should be a, like a, an apologist to like a racist but like <laughs> let's like let's engage with why we think what we think and I think it's just so like that's why I was asking Hannah all those questions because I wanted to really see what her identity boiled down to and she was able to tell me so do that for yourself I'm gonna do that for myself what are my values and why do I think that and like people who don't think that why do they think what they think but like yeah let's just keep talking and you know yeah let's keep talking conversation is key yeah so i found this the um radical rethinking challenge one super interesting and two i really identified with it because naturally i think i lean towards that side of conversing with people anyway taking more of an empathetic approach rather than being like, you're wrong, what's wrong with you? I'm actually willing to engage a conversation, depending on what their views are. But I find that I am open to listening. Doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to walk away and rubbish my own ideas. But I do think, and it's something I've kind of, in, in my young years, felt a bit conflicted with because... I think sometimes I find it hard to find my own feet because I'm listening to everyone else so much. But I think there is a lot of strength, particularly when you're really you're really leaning one way or the other to having this conversation because Hannah and I discussed this previously, but even if you don't change your mind, you can really strengthen your own opinion. And there's value in that as well. It's, it's just reinforcing what you believe in. And I think in today's age, um, I think a lot of people, particularly those that, 
are social media is really great but a lot of people take their information off of social media and they don't actually understand why they think the way that they think and I think if you have conversations like this fact check yourself understand the logic behind the things that you maybe it's in your gut maybe you actually haven't done the reading you haven't done the work but you think you know something go away and actually do the work on it by learning about the other side and learning about the side that you support and um, I saw a post today that I sent you both, but I thought it was really good summary of what what kind of social political climate we're in at the moment. And it spoke about going back to your point, Michelle, about how the left can sometimes be massively exclusionary. Um, it spoke about the idea of weaponizing wokeness and how a lot of the time call out culture, cancel culture is people's default. When they're having political opinion, sorry, political conversations, the first thing I want to do is tell someone that they're wrong. Um, but that strips back. I mean, there's, there's no purpose and there's no constructiveness in that. And that is widening the gap even more. You, you hear like our parents calling us a snowflake generation and all of that, this, this, that, because you can't handle different opinions. But that, that's why there's no room for someone else to have a different view to you because you're just going to shut it down immediately. So I reckon the main thing that I got from this is that I enjoy having conversations like this. I enjoy doing exercises like this. I liked, I liked both of your points so much. And especially yours, Aki, when you were talking about, like, with people who kind of have this feeling in their gut but haven't necessarily done much, sort of don't know why they know what they know or believe what they believe. I think in the in the sort of podcast episode that I, I told us to listen, and we'll link it to you or put it in our Instagram as well for, for our listeners, um, he talks about how he asked a sort of class about how many people believed climate change was real and everyone obviously raised their hands and then he asked them how many people have like read any research on climate change ever and like literally like three people raised their hands and like obviously there's certain things where it's like Again, we're not we're not pushing you guys to go get yourselves involved in dangerous discourse. Like climate change is real. I don't need to read a book, whatever. Yeah, I think on other topics where we do feel really passionate about, it's about this idea of having like coming from a robust place, even in the beliefs that you hold to be true. And I think for me, I found this episode and the challenge, um, the exercise we did really difficult because out of everyone, I feel like I find it really hard. Like remember, like even what I would even call it one of my flaws as a person is like being able to remove myself from things that I believe in really strongly. And I think if not for anything other than having a robust self sense of self or sense of why you believe what you believe and, and what are their sort of driving factors behind that, um, I think it's so important to engage with, with all sides of a debate. And like you said, Aki, to kind of increase that, the empathy that you have for the other side, even if you don't necessarily change your mind on what you, on what you think. Um, so yeah thank you so much for listening guys to episode two of season two if you had any thoughts about anything we talked about feel free to drop us a message at brown sugar pod on instagram or bs the pod